Welcome to Green Tea, sustainable stories from Bowdoin's campus and beyond. My name is Holden Turner. And I'm Juliette Min. Green Tea is a production of the Office of Sustainability at Bowdoin College, sharing the perspectives of students, staff, and community members. So today we're here with Lisa Benneman. Uh, Lisa, say hi to the microphone. Hey, everybody. Um, so Lisa is the garden manager at the Bowdoin Organic Garden, and I'm super pleased to have her in the studio today. Um, Lisa, would you start by introducing yourself and talking a little about, about uh, your path coming to the Organic Garden? Sure, yeah. Thanks, Holden. I'm excited to be here. So yeah, my name's Lisa. I am managing the Bowdoin Organic Garden, which I'm really excited about. I just started here about six, seven weeks ago, so still pretty new to campus. Um, and But I've been in this area for a long time, so coming to Bowdoin um, was a, a slight change in, in location, but not a big change otherwise. I live in Bath, Maine, and I was farming um, at the Chiwonky Foundation in Wiscasset for a number of years before coming here to Bowdoin. So still in, you know, doing the farming thing in an educational setting, but really excited about switching it up from younger students and high school students to being in the in the college game here and um, working with all these young folks who are super excited about um, gardening and learning how to grow things. Absolutely, sticking to the coast, but changing it up a lot. Cool. Um, so what, what was the spark that got you into farming when you first said to yourself, I can see myself doing this for a while? Yeah, I, like I grew up, my dad always had a big vegetable garden. So it was like, it was something that was present in my life sort mm -hmm. of from the outset. Um, but I didn't really consider it as something that was necessarily going to be a career. Um, I was really, I sort of pursued it as a hobby in high school and in college. The one like farm job I had in high school, like a couple weeks uh, in the summer, I actually like really hated. I thought it was really hard. <laughs> What'd you do? Um, What'd you do for this job? I was like working primarily in vegetable production mm -hmm. and it was a really, really rainy summer. And oh. so it was just like raining every day and mm -hmm. like it was, it was tough. And yeah. I kind of thought, okay, well that was an experience. <laughs> um, yeah, but when I when I finished college and was sort of thinking about what was next, I wasn't in a place where I felt ready to like lock myself into a, a career or like an office job. Mm -hmm. I really felt like I don't really know where I want to live. I don't really know what I want to do. Like, I don't want to get myself into something where I feel trapped. And so I pursued a few different apprenticeships just farming in a couple places. I was, you know, multiple years away from my summer that wasn't so fun. Sure. Um, so that memory had maybe faded. I grew up a little bit. Uh, and it was in that time, probably my second apprenticeship that I did. Um, I was in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And I just like, I, I totally loved it. And it was a, it was a livestock farm. Mm -hmm. So it was also a different type of farming than I had really done before. Yeah just the people that I was around and the lifestyle mm -hmm. and the way that everybody like worked together and was constantly like solving problems and working really hard. And, um, I, I just, it was a place that I felt really at home, even though I wasn't there for that long. Yeah. And it was hard to imagine then like starting in on something that wasn't farming after that. 
what were the livestock that you were working with? And do you still love working with the same livestock after years and years and years and years? So, yeah, the livestock that I was working with on that farm in Oregon were um, dairy cows, beef cows, laying hens, sheep, and pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were it's pretty much the same variety um, of animals that I was working with at Chowanki as well. Yeah. And sheep are definitely my favorite. I would love to have sheep in my life again at some point. But one of the things that was exciting to me about Bowdoin and about this job was actually moving away from livestock mm-hmm. um, to in order to have a little bit of a better work-life balance. I really like working with animals, um, and farm animals are bring such incredible like joy to people in an educational setting, but animals definitely mean someone always has to be working um, every yeah. single day of the year, no matter what. And I was a part of a team, so that didn't mean like I worked every day, but mm-hmm. there was no, like you always have to be sort of ready for an emergency, going in on weekends, and um, I was feeling ready to like take a step away from that side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I understand. How are you doing today, Farron? I'm great. Uh, sorry I'm late, but this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. You two know each other? We haven't met. Oh, I yeah. think I, I was collecting a soil sample oh, in the garden awesome. and you uh, were there. So <laughs> great. I will send my results along to yeah. you. <laughs> nice to meet you officially. Yeah, you too. What were you collecting soil samples for? What have you been um, doing with them? So I'm in a biogeochemistry class mm-hmm. and we collected soil samples around uh, Brunswick in different like land use types. And then we're measuring carbon or ga- greenhouse gas emissions from the soils under different climate scenarios. Yeah. So yeah. The garden, the garden was one of our soils. <laughs> I sort of like came upon this group of people <laughs> digging in the garden, and I was like, "Hey, what's going on?" <laughs> They're like, taking a soil sample for class. Okay. I was like, "That's totally fine. I'd love to see the results, though." <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, you just got results back from the University of Maine. Yeah, University of Maine Cooperative Extension is where we send our soil tests specifically to look at like macronutrients and micronutrients oh, in the soil. Cool. So things that are important to know when you're deciding what to grow mm-hmm. in given places. Um, it tells you the pH, your level of organic matter, and then things like copper and iron and boron and phosphorus, things that are important to plants. Very cool. Yeah. Can you give us a brief overview of what the results said? Um, Overall, our pH is like a touch high, not to a level where it's bad, but like you really want to be like pretty much right in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're like a little over seven in the pH mostly. Organic matter is awesome. Um, In the nutrient category, they're consistently, we're a little bit low. I think it was... um, iron but i can't remember I, I, don't quote me on that um, i won't quote you on that yeah everyone listening don't quote her on this <laughs> <laughs> um but overall pretty good awesome yeah well i love gardens um i would love to know like if you grew up with a garden and did you was that like a personal project of yours and what did you focus on growing in the garden if you did have one yeah um Yeah, so my dad has always had a vegetable garden my whole life. So growing up, that was something that, like, I have really strong memories of doing with him. With I have two sisters, and sort of Mm -hmm. with each of us successively, when we were, like, around the good helper age, we would be, like, (laughs) dad's little garden helper. Um, What age is that? uh, I think, like, five to nine is, like, the range. You know, you're, like, helpful, 
and you like want to be hanging out with your dad and um <laughs> yeah so <laughs> we'd like go out there and you know he would have like specific jobs for us to do like okay like spread the fertilizer in this little trench or um so I have like lots of like really special memories um doing that with him and he still keeps a really big garden to this day um he definitely made the choices in terms of like what was going in <laughs> but like you know typical stuff that you grow in Maine there was always a couple pepper plants tomato plants lots of carrots lots of greens um beets stuff like that cool Fast forwarding up to the present moment. So you've you've started at the tail end of this growing season. Mm-hmm. I know you and um, we both as people who are somewhat involved in the garden um, are looking forward to the next season also. But as for the tail end of this season, what's been something that you've loved or a moment that's really stuck with you so far? Mm. It was really fun just starting to get to know students that are mm-hmm. excited about the garden. You know, w- once people... Um, a second time, a third time, starting to like develop a little bit of rapport with folks and getting to know people a little bit better. I'm really looking forward to like being here for longer and having these longer relationships with students um, because I think doing like physical outdoor work with people is one of the best ways to get talking and get to know people. Um, but as I was specifically, uh, there was one like open open garden work hours time that we had this year but there was a there was like a great fun group everyone was really spirited and um the kiwis that we grow in the garden were ready and they're sort of like a, an unexpected thing that you can grow in maine kiwis right it's not, i did not know that yeah that it's so cool it's not like a, like a big kiwi that you see at the grocery store the type of kiwis that you can grow in maine it's called a hardy kiwi and they're really small they're like almost look like little acorns But, like, if you, when you bite into them, it's that same bright green, like, with the same little pattern of black seeds. And um, I had had realized that they were ready. And so this group that was there that day, I was like, I have something really exciting to show you all. (laughs) And I showed them, and they, like, freaked out. And then they cleaned out the plant. They, every single one. (laughs) Um, Which was great. Like, they're, they're not something that would, like, go to the dining hall. They're just sort of, like, for fun and for snacking on. I think that, like there would be, like, this tiny little bowl of them in, like, the, the, like, breakfast fruit bar. You know, it's not, like, enough of something. Or a garnish on top of some dish. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it was just, it was, like, so amazing to watch their faces all just, like, be amazed um, (laughs) that, like, there were these miniature kiwis growing here in Maine. Yeah, that's awesome. And, I mean, let's hope that plant keeps surviving. Yeah, it's doing good. People can (laughs) still come back and have that amazing experience. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, like... I love that experience. So, like, wait, yeah. this thing is growing here, and, like, I can just take it from the ground and put it in my mouth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. It's magical. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had that experience? Well, I was I was going to ask a different question, yeah. but it's kind of related. I was wondering, like, so you were talking about pH and soils and all this very scientific side of gardening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's also a very spiritual side of gardening or working with plants more like that's like an emotional connection um and I was wondering like what your relationship between those two things is because do you get bogged down in the science are you really jazzed about the science or like how do they work together yeah that's a great question I am not a scientist um it's never been a particular specialty it's an important thing to learn about um when you are managing soils Mm -hmm. um but it's definitely not something that's natural to me. I'm someone who like 
learns about things much more through just experience and trial and error and talking to other people and maybe like reading books, but looking at things like the soil tests or, um, I don't know, reading, reading books like that are about soil science, I kind of get like dizzy and confused, you know, it's like, okay, I need to like, I need to like ground this. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say either that I'm like super spiritual about the process of growing things, but I really, um, it is, it's definitely magical to me. Uh, and I think every year coming out of winter, like in March when seedlings are getting started in the greenhouse, those like first crops that you get started and then like start to germinate in their little trays, it always feels mm-hmm. like a little bit like a miracle. I think some of that has to do with yeah. living in Maine too. It's like still cold and snowy outside and you've created this like sort of false little microclimate for them <laughs> to get to get going. To get started, yeah. And it works. Like and every time it works, it's kind of like do I get lucky again? Like <laughs> do I know how to do this? Like it's a, there's a part of it that definitely is sort of like mystic. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And we have to ask this. What is your favorite vegetable? What's a vegetable you can't live without? I love so many vegetables. <laughs> You sent me this question in advance, mm-hmm. and so it's like the pract. Is it like the practical answer or the? <laughs> I mean, I think like on a practical level, it's onions. Like uh, onions yeah. are like, it's like the basis for so many things. It's yeah. hard to imagine cooking without them. Yeah. Um, onions are like they're like a workhorse. You they know? really are. Um, they can add so much flavor to soups, salads, yeah. literally anything in a pan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any one vegetable, I I think like that's the answer because I don't think I could ever get tired of onions. Mm -hmm. Like it's always going to be incorporated. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. I feel like I don't think of onions as vegetables sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's a potato. I don't know. Right. Well, are potatoes vegetables? I always think of them as starches. they're starches. Right. (laughs) But onions are definitely vegetables. But then like carrots and onion or carrots and and potatoes are so similar in like where they are in the ground Mm -hmm. and they kind of have a similar texture sometimes. So then it's just all confusing. <laughs> yeah. So you've been making a crop plan for next semester. Yes. What are you excited about in this crop plan? Or what's what's the vision for the garden now that you are looking at a full growing season ahead? Yeah, I'm so excited about it. Um, I, like, wish I could sort of, like, fast forward the winter and, like, get into it right away. Except then we have a ski season, which I don't want to do. True. But, um, <laughs> I am really excited about how how diverse I think the garden's going to look mm-hmm. in terms of the way things are planted. Um, the garden here is set up as a, a like low or no-till system, which means that you're not disturbing the soil. Uh, you're not like turning it over, mm-hmm. um, which like tillage is a form of management. Um, yeah. And... Uh, by not tilling, you're able to preserve more, more of the soil structure and like a lot of beneficial things happening in the soil. And something that's cool about it is that it really lends itself to interplanting. Um, when you're working in a, in a system that's based in tillage, it's usually like pretty scientific. It's like mm-hmm. this bed is this thing and this bed is this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause your timings are all like, dialed in in a really specific way but it's like in a in a no-till system things are able to be a little bit more um I don't know organic is a a funny but it's relevant in a number of ways but I don't know they're able to be um less defined I guess Mm -hmm. 
So I'm really excited in the crop plan that there's like almost no beds. I'm trying to like think about the maps in my head, mm -hmm. but it's like almost every bed is going to have multiple different types of crops growing in it mm -hmm. at any given time. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're necessarily like always going to be multiple, but what mm -hmm. intercropping does is it takes advantage of um, the space that you have when you have it and prioritizes covering the soil as much as possible. Mm. So like for instance, when you plant out seed, little seedlings at first, like mm -hmm. they're pretty small and it takes a little while for them to size up in mm -hmm. a way that covers more of the bed. Mm -hmm. So you can think about taking advantage of that space that's temporary, mm -hmm. like for example, in a bed of peppers by planting maybe a row down the center of something that's a shorter season crop. So by the time you're harvesting that thing that you planted down the middle, the peppers are getting to a size where they were gonna start shading it out anyway. Mm. So then you're pulling that thing and it's not somewhere that you can plant again because now the peppers have grown up and are large and you wouldn't be able to get anything established. But it almost feels like cheating the system. Like you're <laughs> able to get another crop of something in um, while maybe like the primary crop of that bed is yeah. still little. And cool. does that drain nutrients out of the soil or not drain, but does it use more nutrients because you're growing more things and then do you have to use more fertilizer? Or I guess you don't use fertilizer because it's organic, but... We, yeah, there's lots of organic fertilizers okay. um, and like compost and things like that. Okay. But um, it, uh, the answer is no. Like I can, I think on, on the one level, you can think about like you're growing things in a given amount of space. So like the more things you are to grow, the more you're extracting. Um, and that is true when you're only growing one thing, but when you grow a mix of things, you, there's like different relationships that different vegetables have with the soil. Some that give back uh, and all that take different things depending on what they are. Um, and the more, usually the more diversity you have in a crop plan, the better your soil's gonna look coming out of a growing season. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the key examples that has come up so many times in my environmental studies literature is um, the uh, indigenous tradition of the three sisters. Mm -hmm. And that's um, corn, beans, and squash all at once. And they all do different, um, they all have different impacts giving and taking to the soil. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some other examples of pears or triplets that you might have in certain beds? Yeah. Um, let's see. So I was reading about... Um, ways to increase the mycorrhizal activity in the soil when mm -hmm. you're growing things that don't naturally have mycorrhizal activity. Yeah. Kale is an example of that. Mm -hmm. Kale, like it doesn't create more living systems in soil where it's growing. Um, and so one thing that you can do to um, bring more life to an area where you're growing kale is plant something that can grow in relative shade because kale, kale gets big and bushy um, and be like low underneath it mm -hmm. that promotes more mycorrhizal activity. Um, and one example of that is parsley. So we're gonna mm -hmm. try that out, growing parsley underneath the kale. You also cool. can use like a non-edible crop, like clover would be a really good thing mm -hmm. as well to grow under something like kale that has like a higher canopy. And so there's space underneath to grow something. Yeah, There's like things that, that make great companions because one gives something that the other takes or that the other like doesn't do mm -hmm. um 
but then also sometimes great companions are just things that timing wise work out together. So, um, something that's something that's slower growing to begin with being paired with something that grows really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I, this past growing season, was it tomatoes and carrots? There were carrots planted. Yeah. Underneath the tomatoes. I love that. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. And basil is a great companion with tomatoes as well. Not yeah. only in eating, but mm. also in growing. Um, it attracts like lots of beneficial insects. Um, and they do really well together. So there'll be a lot of tomato and basil going on nice. next year. Yeah. Very cool. Make some caprese salads. Yeah, <laughs> just right there in the field. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So as we're, as we're thinking about the next growing season going forward, um, not only just the crop plan, but also the plan for like how you're thinking about incorporating people and students and staff all together in, in the garden. Do you have a vision for, and maybe a, underlying philosophy also for how a garden might be a place for people in which people can work and, and, and find and gather some um, sort of some, some sense of community mm. and um, how do you how might you go about that how might you start negotiating that for the spring yeah that's such a good question I definitely feel like I'm still I'm very early yeah. in my um, in my tenure here and mm -hmm. don't definitely don't feel like I have sort of a finger on the beat yet of the like social emotional vibe of Bowdoin. <laughs> um, it's a and, complex place. So yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't think it's something that I have the answers to yet. For me, I think I've seen in different places I've worked in and more more casual spaces like volunteer spaces or community spaces mm -hmm. oftentimes mistakes being made when somebody in charge makes decisions about like how what their vision is before they really understand the place that they are yeah um and so i'm just trying to get to know the place and get to know people mm -hmm. and ask questions like what do you what do you want to see yeah. um like how would the how would the organic garden like serve you as a student or serve you as a fellow staff member because right now like I could come up with all sorts of ideas and I definitely get like thinking and dreaming sometime yeah but I I don't want to like sort of jump the gun and implement anything before I feel like yeah and that's something that would really work well here because different yes. ideas are gonna like land really differently in different places I really appreciate that humble answer that humble approach that you take I think that's really important for many walks of life in which you're coming to a new space and not trying to impose your own vision directly on, onto it right away. Well, I guess I was wondering, like, do you think that you'll continue some of the events that have happened every year? Like, I remember um, uh, corn grinding, making flour out of corn that the garden grew or um, salsa making maybe or certain events that come back the other ones that I can think of are like going to the common ground fair with a group of people at some point or um, doing some sort of small scale um, pizza making events like these yeah these are all all things that I'm sure you've heard about in the past from various people um, I guess now that I'm saying it out loud that's also something that the student leaders are also going to be tasked with yeah in collaboration definitely. with you yeah, so I'm I'm super excited about um, as as things sort of get going. The first thing that would kick it off really is maple syrup season Ooh. in February and March. So yeah. definitely some sort of maple event. 
Um, and I'm, I'm really hoping to get students involved in the process too, like with the sap collection and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I'm excited. I have like some records of different things that have happened and student knowledge that helps clue me into that sort of thing. Um, but I'm definitely excited about events and, um, the student leaders that I've worked with so far have all had like so many good ideas and, uh, yeah, Holden included, um, <laughs> and have like, there have been events going on all semester that like, I didn't even have anything to do with, you know, cause the, the club, um, has this like really strong student led aspect to it. That yeah. means there's, yeah, some things that maybe happen through the club that I hear about and I'm like, cool guys, that's awesome. Um, and other things that all have more of a hand in, but I'm excited about all those types of things. Yes. As a student on the BOG email list that hasn't done as much active participation, I uh, appreciate and think that you guys are doing a great job this year. <laughs> and seriously, it's like professional. I'm very impressed. It's so great. <laughs> Thanks. All right, Lisa, we have one more question for you, and that question is, what does sustainability mean to you? Sustainability, like, fundamentally, is, like, living in such a way that can continue to be possible, you know, uh, for the future. But I think what that looks like in practice can be really, really different, depending on who you are um, and sort of what's important to you. But I think for me, sustainability is, is like, I don't know, a combination of understanding a bigger picture um, and knowing myself. So, and like balancing those things. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lisa, Perrin, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you all for finishing out our uh, Green Tea Season 5 with a lovely episode. Yeah, and thanks so much s- for being here, Lisa. That's oh, really, yeah. really fun. Happy it's, to come in. It's been awesome. Yeah. Well, to anyone listening, uh, thank you so much for listening in on our last season of Green Tea episode, uh, Season 5. Wait, and congrats to Holden who's <laughs> graduating! This is his last episode, La- if yeah, I'm not That is true. Wrong. Yep, Yay. last episode here. We'll miss you. Yeah, I'll miss being here. Thank you all so much. <laughs> Throughout the 2021-2022 academic year, Green Tea is collecting stories about sustainability from students, staff, and community members. Stay tuned for more episodes, and thanks for listening.